very often you can have two people fighting a bitter war. Ugly. And after a prolonged period, they're both battered, bloodied, wounded, and nobody wins. Imagine the tragedy of that. We are just a few days away from a bitterly fought presidential election. I don't think there's anybody that isn't in some way frustrated or even disgusted by the, the battle, literally like gladiators. And though there's a lot of hyperbole about what is at stake, the question is, will anyone win? Especially for the long term. Will the people, will the nation which the government is supposed to represent, win out of this. This is the topic we will be discussing. Election 2020, will anyone win? Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, another weekly live episode of the Wednesday Night Masterclass. This program is dedicated by Dr. Harvey Lang in memory of Aryeh Ben Svi Halevi. We all are familiar with uh, litigation. Litigation, people going to court, whether it's individuals, corporations, and especially if they have deep pockets, how long is a litigation can last? It can last years, years and years. You can even win certain um, part of it, but then there's an appeal, and then there's another appeal, and there are different motions. Yeah, we're not going to go through the whole process. And very often... <laughs> even though it's said cynically, but it's true, it's very true, that, that both parties end up spending millions, if not billions of dollars. And they say the only ones that win are the lawyers. Why? Because they get paid. And at the end, it may not even have been worth it. Very often, you get invested in the battle itself. And though it may make more sense financially to settle, but sometimes vindictiveness, pettiness, vengeance, the emotions come into play. I've heard quite a few times from attorneys that the bitterest of all battles is divorce court. Because it's so personal. And once it gets into that battle, it's not just who's going to win, it's make sure the other person gets hurt. At the end of the day, who wins these cases? If there's a family and children, does the husband win? Does the ex-husband win? Does the ex-wife win? Do the children win? Even if one gets the financial compensation they feel they deserve. 
So this is the bizarre nature of human beings. We can get caught up in a battle and sometimes lose sight of the forest, the bigger picture, and sometimes get so caught up in the battle itself that it becomes an end in itself. Some scholars compare Vietnam to that. Vietnam began perhaps with an ideological goal to stop the spread of communism, what's called the domino effect, in Far East, the Far East Asia. So even though Vietnam was a very small country, negligible in the context of any global strategy or economic plans and so on, but it was a statement. I'm not getting into whether that was an ill-conceived ideology in the first place, but what happened? America, the United States, the most powerful army on earth, got sucked into it. And to the point, most soldiers in the military had no clue why they were even fighting. The money spent, the lives lost. And did the United States win? How could a bamboo country like uh, Vietnam, a third world country, not have been completely conquered by the U.S.? So without going into the details of the analysis, some say because Vietnam was fighting, it was their soil, it was their land. The United States had no idea why they were there. Did it stop the, the spread of communism? Ended up being North, North Vietnam, South Vietnam. And however you analyze it, there comes a point where you get swept up and sucked in into something and you lose sight of the vision, that bodes plenty of trouble, both individually and collectively. This is also true for all of us. I counsel many people, couples, individuals, partners, and very often this is exactly what happens. It's not the issues anymore. It's the battle itself, who's going to win. I don't want him to think that he's right, or I don't want her to think she's right. And as much as you try to separate between the issues and the emotions, that's the whole nature, that's the very meaning of emotions. They make you subjective and you can't think straight. Which is why you want a third party in the first place, to help clear the air, to help look at things with a fresh set of eyes. Let's apply this now to the, the country in which we live. A nation that was established over 300 years ago. Was it 1776, 1870, 1970? Almost 300, I shouldn't say 300 years ago, 1776. 250 years ago. And based on principles that we've discussed many times are solid, unwavering principles that all people are created equal and by, and by virtue of that, have unalienable rights endowed to them by the Creator. The freedom of speech, of expression, the freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of, of um, the other freedoms. And this was the solid foundation upon which a nation was built that allowed it to thrive as it has. 
So to be able to perpetuate and make sure this country and the people within it continue to thrive, you need to go back to those basics. Now, I've, I've read in through history there have been very bitterly fought elections. Some say this isn't even the most bitter. There was full of acrimony, full of insults in different elections throughout our uh, nation's history. But we're living through this one. And, of course, with the media, everything gets amplified and immediate. So to whether to measure ugliness, I'll leave for others, but the noise that's being made. And when you cut, cut to the chase and you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, what exactly is really going on here? Is one completely so right as they make themselves and the other one so wrong? Is it true that you have 226,000, 230,000 Americans have died from COVID? Yes, the president is the leader of the country. Would President Biden or another president have done better? Who knows? Once people are interested in victory, they'll say anything. There were unknowns back in March and April that you could say any president would have to contend with. But things are turned into, especially when you have the microphone and you have the media, into very stark black and white, right and wrong. I just don't relate to right and wrong and black and white in that context. Everything is relative. And everyone has some right truths and someone has some, some non-truths. But that's not the way it's painted. And unfortunately, most people gravitate to a black and white picture. So it only adds to the whole vitriol and the, and the tone, which is so uncivil. Now, of course, people will blame one side for being uncivil. Uncivil, lack of civility goes around. It's just in different forms. You can do it with a smile. You can do it without an insult. You can still be uncivil in your manner of dismissing someone or of complete invalidation and so on. I am, as you know, not here to take sides. I'm not telling anyone who to vote for. It's not my role. It's not my, my approach or philosophy to life. I'm talking about the bigger picture. When you have a situation, for example, I just read that the executive editor of the New York Times, before the 2016 election, Trump was the Republican nominee, said that now at this point, that journalistic objectivity has to be put aside because we have to put all our focus is to make sure that Trump cannot lead, should be, out, should, be, should be eliminated as president, then you ask yourself, okay, so someone in the media, a very powerful force, the New York Times, decided to take that position. What happens if you disagree with it? Is that what the journalist should be doing? But if you determine that that's your civic duty, then it's a matter of, like, you think this is the only thing that's right. It's simply wrong. And I don't like to make the comparisons when people tell me it wasn't a democratic election. So there was a democratic election also in Germany when Hitler came to power. Once you get into that type of language, you're dealing with the emotions that have nothing to do with rational. Because if you ask a question, how do you compare the two, you're immediately labeled as, oh, you love Trump, you're pro-Trump, you can't even ask such a question. And there was the other way around as well. I remember the vilification that some had of Obama. 
The point I want to make here is that this is even worse than a divorce court and other type of litigation. Because you're dealing here not with one person, you're dealing here with the entire country. And I say to myself, let's step back for a moment. The carnage that will be left, the collateral damage, after all this is over. Next year, two years from now, ten years from now, what, will, what kind of long-term picture will this create? And like, I know people will say, well, once Trump is, once Trump is out, we're going to go back to very civil. I know. Or previous elections, that's civil. There's plenty of, uh, plenty of ugliness there too. So those of us that are interested in looking at the truth, so to speak, and by no means does anyone have a monopoly of the truth, including myself, but those that want to look at it, you know, rise above the fray, the clouds, the, 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 the confusion, to look at the whole picture, who will win? Will the family win? In divorce court, do the children win when two parents go at it, go at each other's throats? What happens afterwards when those two parents are finished with the court of the case is over? This election will be over. The term, the next term will be over. 2024, there's a new election. That's what I am most concerned about. And I think we should all be. Because if you don't see the forest from the trees, or sometimes they say some see the trees from the forest, for the forest. But the bottom line is, if you look at the trees and you don't see the bigger picture, it can have long-term implications. So I'll tell you where I go to to find my own solace and peace when you recognize this and try to create some type of win for myself, for my family, for the community, for the people I have influence over or relationships with. Because we could win, despite what is going on around us. But for us to do that, we need to separate ourselves somewhat. Because when you get caught up in it, and now you're one of the cheerleaders of whatever side, then you're part of it. So it's critical to separate and step, step aside. So let me share with you an interesting episode that happened 25 years ago. Exactly 25 years ago, 1995. My book was published, Toward a Meaningful Life. It was published... Approximately the summer, the beginning of fall, 1995. And uh, William Morrow, my publisher, sent me on a book tour, which included, of course, media appearances. The internet had not yet really, it was just the beginnings of the internet. We had an email address. I remember the three different email servers were then uh, AOL and uh, Prodigy. And there's another one, um, uh, something with a computer, word computer in it. I forgot already. CompuServe, maybe. CompuServe. And I remember, which one do we choose? I thought Prodigy sounded nice, CompuServe. But we ended up using AOL, which was the right decision at the time. Dial-up modems, if you remember the whole thing. Bottom line is, um, I went, traveled across the country on this tour. One of the interviews that was scheduled for me was actually in October, it was the beginning of October, I believe. It happened to be the, the Hebrew date was the day Erev Yom Kippur, the day before Yom Kippur. That I remember vividly because it was a unique day in my life. And it was an interview scheduled, I think it was a Sunday morning, 
No, Monday morning. I don't remember what day in the week, to be honest. And um, yeah, it was an interview in Florida, in Miami area, that covered had a good few million listeners. It was a very serious show. And it was like a, an important interview. Okay, everything ready. It was on the phone. I would get on the phone in my office. We'd have the interview. I get a call that morning, an hour or two before. The producer, was, the producer of the show tells me, or that was the, maybe the host, says, we want to reschedule because the O.J. Simpson verdict is about to come out. And that's going to dominate headlines. I love your book. But it's just not the time. People are not interested in the book. They're going to be interested in O.J. Simpson, and that's what we should be focusing on. So <laughs> I don't know. Instinctively, I just said, so let's talk about O.J. Simpson. What can you say? She asks me. I say, my book has the solution to the issues of the day around this. Really? If you're ready to talk about it, so fine. So then we have already a ready guest. She took the risk. I had no idea what I was going to say. But I felt... Instinctively, that's what I should do. That's what I did. Okay, two hours later, I think it was 11 a.m., I get the call, the interview begins. And it's Erev Yom Kippur. You have to remember, my culture, my society, Erev Yom Kippur is a very busy day. You almost don't have time for anything else. So we begin the interview, mentions my book, and then we go into the O.J. Simpson. So I said, what, what are your comments, Rabbi, about the verdict? He came out, of course, he was acquitted. If the glove don't fit, you have to acquit, if you remember the jingle of the time. And I said, let me share a story right now, as we speak. Uh, my brethren, my community, is preparing for the holiest day of the year. And they're not even aware of this verdict, even though it's dominating headlines and everyone's talking about it. And there's a big divide. The black saw it as a victory. The white saw it as a loss. Not everybody, but it created a lot of racial... Um, unrest as well at the time, if you may recall. And I remember, so I said, so why am I telling you this about Yom Kippur? Because it reminds me of a story. There was a, a great Hasidic rabbi, his name was Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev. And he once got up, maybe it was Yom Kippur, it was one of the high holidays, and he was the chazan, he was the cantor, he led the service. And before he said, Yiskadol v'yiskadosh, the opening kaddish that we say in the prayers, he said like this, the Prussians, Prussia was once a country, say that the Prussian king is the greatest. The Russians say that the Tsar is the greatest. The French say that the emperor is the greatest. The Germans say that the Kaiser is the greatest. And I, Levi Yitzhak, Ben Sarashasha says, Yiskadav, Yiskada, Shmei Rabba. That may God's powerful name be exalted and elevated and sanctified. He was making a statement that despite what is going on around us in the world, there are things that are higher values that transcend the pedestrian in and out, even of important activities, even of the kings and emperors and cases and czars of the world. And he was, in a sense, creating that oasis of lifting himself and the community to that place. So I want to begin by saying that, that despite the O.J. Simpson verdict, and yes, it's an important verdict, and there's much to talk about, it's also important to maintain the integrity and elevate ourselves to a place where we are not defined by the news of the day, 
and we're not shaped by it. We can comment on it, and we can share our insights, and we can argue about it, but we're not defined by it. I remember the host was on the phone, but I could sense she was like taken by it. She says, interesting perspective. But what can we talk about? Can we talk about the, the issue itself? I said, yes, once we get that introduction, now we can enter the fray. And I shared, I shared a story with Mayor Dinkins during the 1991 riots in Crown Heights, how the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, told him, he said, I want a blessing for peace between the blacks and the Jews, the two communities here. Crown Heights is the whole story, 1991. I'm going to go into detail. Also much to be learned from it. Unfortunately, a young black boy was killed by an accident, Gavin Cato, in the entourage of those driving behind the Rebbe's car as he came back from his father-in-law's gravesite. In turn, that incited a pogrom, literally. I remember that summer. Looting, shattering windows, and they ultimately killed deliberately a Jew, Yankel Rosenbaum, in cold blood. It was not exactly moral equivalence, even though many tried to paint it that way. But that's not relevant to our discussion here. So Mayor Dinkins came by and asked the Rebbe for a blessing between the two peoples. And the Rebbe said, it's not two peoples, it's one people under one God, under one administration. Because color, culture, race, those are externals, those are superficial. I'm explaining. the. So I shared all this. It was really, actually, it was a very well-received interview because it wasn't about what was, should he be acquitted, not be acquitted. There were plenty of people talking about that. He was talking about the issues, the human interest issues, the human condition issues that were elicited by that event. But the point I make is that, yes, that is the first step before anything, before discussing anything and getting into the nitty-gritty to ride to keep yourself above it all. You and your family and your life is not defined or shaped by news events. Even by presidential elections. How do you like that? If everyone had that in mind, people who weren't fighting bitterly in litigation or divorce court or any other battles, we would have a very different world. Of course we're entitled to disagree. But as long as we are above that disagreement, as long as we remain who we are intact, and the disagreement is about an issue, we don't allow ourselves and our emotions to become overwhelmed by it and defined by it, then... It's manageable. Now you'll say, what happens if it's life and death? Would you say the same thing if you're dealing with, uh, dealing with a Hitler, with a Stalin? So yes, you need to have discretion. Obviously, when a building is burning, God forbid, you can't just say, okay, let me say, I'm not defined by the burning building. Let's think it through before we escape the burning building. We have to understand the difference between emergency and emergency. But to make everything an emergency, because that's how you decided, or because that's how the media or some individual decided, is basically really compromising true emergencies, like crying wolf when you shouldn't be crying wolf. So obviously we need intelligent discretion to determine what is an emergency, a true emergency. Where you need to rush someone to an emergency room. So the key is to rise above it, and that's when you win. Now, can that be expected from the candidates? Who knows? You know, I think everybody's a human being, and I'm sure... If you sit down with someone, one-on-one, whoever it may be, you could probably have some human type of conversation. But once you get become the representative, and you're fighting for what? Because you're absolutely right. It's a completely selfless effort. 
Is there any element of being in control and power? Will you convince yourself that your ideology is the dominant one, is the superior one? I don't know, when I look at it all, it just does not create a type of trust. No matter which party. I don't feel trust. I feel they have an agenda. It could be that through it all there's something positive in, in each candidate. But to say, oh, here's a person I really feel I trust my life with. Now, I can't speak for the rest of the nation, the rest of the country, but I speak for myself, and I think I speak for many of the silent majority. We're going to vote. And sometimes it's about voting. Who's the best of the worst? Or if you feel that one party is the best, I'm not, again, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do, what to think. I'm trying to get to a point where we understand that all the players, including the candidates, including their supporters, including the parties, are a means to an end. The end is that you and I and our families and our communities and the country as a whole becomes a more higher conscious level nation and individual. That we can live up to what our divine mission in this, is in this world. The whole purpose of government, the whole purpose of legislation, the whole purpose of the executive, judicial, and legislative branches is to create an environment where we can be e pluribus unum, where many, from the many one, which does not mean annihilating any individual. It means appreciating the harmony within diversity. A very powerful concept. In the Kabbalistic language is called tiferet, beauty. Beauty is always harmony within diversity. To create an environment where that can flourish. Now that, of course, there's the risk when as soon as you have diversity, diversity could lead to divisiveness. So the leaders of our nation, the leaders of our communities, should be people who are living examples of harmony within diversity. You don't really see that. Everyone's going to point fingers and say it's the other one's fault, and I'm just responding. Look, with that which we don't have control over, we don't have control over. We cannot control what the candidates will say, what their parties will say, what's being said on the media. But we can control how we see it, how much we expose ourselves to it, and most importantly, how we define our lives. I remember I used to laugh when my grandfather, who was a Russian Jew, came over from Russia, an immigrant after World War II, and he would tell me, my father was a journalist, so it added a little flavor with his like <laughs> his cynicism. He said, everything you read in the newspaper is a lie. And I used to say to him, Zayda, Grandpa, this is not Russia. This is America, free press. As Thomas Jefferson said, that if I had to choose between a free, pr- between a free press and a free government, I would choose a free press because without a free press, we wouldn't have a free government. Some may wonder whether we have a free press today when the press itself has become like a government. That's a side issue. Well, it's not such a side issue, but in context of what I want to share. My grandfather insisted, no. He said, no, no, no. You get older, you'll understand. Even the date on the newspaper, he said, is a lie. It was printed the day before. As I did get older, I will not say that everything is a lie. You know, there are headlines there's a tsunami, God forbid, or a war, 
or an election. I mean, that's reporting the facts. But then you start asking yourself what determine, who determines what the headline should be. And who determines about the headlines that are not necessarily objectively the most important news of the day? What should be on the front page? And what should be on the second page? And what should be in the opinion page? And what should be the editorial? It's all subjective. Now, if you trust the person writing for whatever reason, it's one thing. But can you trust? Also subjective interests. Especially when you become self-righteous and you think you are representing what is, what, what is civility. And what is right and wrong? I mean, since when does the media know what is right and wrong more than all of us? They should reporting objectively what is going on. But that's not the case any longer. It's become partisan. Now, of course, they will never argue it's partisan. They'll say that's the truth. Our truth, our partisan truth is the truth. It's like the doctor that says, I will tell you when you need a second opinion. So that is not added to the trust to the clarity that's necessary. Now, does that mean there's nothing true to it? No, I won't, I'm not going to say that. But what, what do you do when you know so, there's some truth amidst the many lies or many distortions? It makes it even more complicated because if it was all untrue, that would already be clarity. If it was all true, it's also clarity. But what happens when there's some truths scattered among and somewhat um, uh, thrown into the bunch of many untruths? It just makes it even more confusing. That's why I say the first and most important thing is get yourself in the right place. You need to win. Your children, your family, the people you know. What does win mean? Win doesn't mean a position. We don't know which candidate is going to win. We don't even know if whoever wins, what's going to happen next. Promises we know are usually not kept. Some argue Trump kept more promises than others. Some don't argue that way. So do we know what will be? No. There are all kinds of concerns and fears. But you can know what you will be and what you need to do. Now, of course, the next argument, what do you mean? What I will be is defined by who will be the next president and who will be the dominant party in the House and in the, and in the Senate. Since when is that true? Yes, certain policies may affect taxes, medical but do you ever know of a president or a, a, a party that control people's lives? I'm an, I've seen 10 presidents in my adult life. I can't say that any one of them was earth-shattering change in my life, in the life of people I know. When you get caught up in it and you get caught up in the issues and you're really passionate about something, someone says, well, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it will change my life. So first of all, that's an issue which is a question whether it will be overturned. Secondly, it's in the area of the judicial right now, if it gets to a court. Even if the court overturns it, that we know does not mean that it will be prohibited. It means that that will go back to the states. And I'm not trying to get into again into the fray of the discussion. But be sober about things. Now, if you say to me, there's a president who's going to take away our rights, our freedom of religion, our freedom of expression, of assembly, and so on, of, of petition, that was the one I missed, a petition. Then you, I could say, okay, fine, but is there a president that's going to do that? 
despite the hyperbole, despite all the statements that this president is going to take away all our rights. Can a president even do that? Can a House or Senate even do that? Can they suddenly just decide we're going to abolish the, the Bill of Rights? So let's have a little, let's step back a bit, a little sobriety in this discussion, in this, <coughs> excuse me, in this dialogue, in this conversation. I hope those are listening to this. I hope you who are listening to this are not misunderstanding what I'm saying. Because unfortunately today you say something and right away it's interpreted. Don't put words in my mouth, please. And I'm not saying that in any uh, accusatory way. I'm saying what I'm saying has nothing to do with which party. I don't care. This regard doesn't matter. You may decide that you want to vote for a particular candidate based on the things you think will make you and your family and your community be, be a healthier and better community. But by all means. But don't get caught up in the, in the passions and the campaigning and the agendas of others. Focus on what is most important in your life right now. Write down on a piece of paper what are the five most important things it could be improving your relationship with your spouse, improving your relationship with your children, finding some new economic uh, revenue, staying healthy, perpetuating the values you stand for. Define it. Don't let it be vague. The more you define it, the more you'll have your grounding, your underpinnings, your foundations. And then you say, okay, so now what's happening around me that can help me advance that? That's the first way. Define your life before others define it. Don't be defined by that which is going on around you. Not by politics, and frankly, not by entertainment or video games or sports or Hollywood actors and actresses. Define it by you. Too often, because we have all the media streaming coming our way, we live vicariously through others. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy a, a baseball game, a World Series. But don't be defined by it. Define your life from within, inside out. And then look at what's outside, what can help support that. That is the mission I am on. That's on my only agenda. Find your voice, your song, sing it. Be the best you can be. Live up to the divine mission, the indispensable mission for which you were sent to this world to illuminate, to warm, to inspire, to spiritualize your corner of the world. That is the ultimate purpose. When you're able to do that, to focus on your mission, why you were put here, it changes everything. Because then the rest of the world, as important as it may be, is all part of the props. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean it in a responsible way. Then it all becomes the support of what you're achieving in your life. And yes, it includes the respect that others are also pursuing that type of mission. Despite what people say, 
I would love to hear a candidate get up and speak about you and I. I know they talked all the right words that I will bring you health. I know what you're concerned about. I will make your life better. That's all nice and good. Let it be a resonating message where you sense that it's not about them coming to power, but it's about improving truly the spiritual, psychological, emotional, and material welfare of you and I. I also don't want this to appear that I'm here to just criticize the whole system, even though there's plenty to criticize. My focus is there is to free ourselves, to emancipate ourselves from the whole hoo-ha, the whole, I don't even know the right word, I'm looking for the right word, the whole turbulence, which is so um, <laughs> draining, to be frank, and find ourselves, find yourself. So in the final analysis, if we can call final, election 2020, who will win? I don't know what's going to be on the political, with the political landscape. Will the Democrats, who, if they win, will they be vindictive and will they say, okay, we're going to pack the court and do all kinds of things because you did what you did? Will it become this more, more acrimony? I would like to believe not, that, that people, there's a more talk, more sizzle than steak. But do we have control over that? I don't think we do. At least not in the full extent. Yes, you can vote. You can vote in your senator, your congressman or congresswoman. You can vote your, for the president. But what we do have control over is ourselves. And you could win because you could look and by contrast, see, look what's going on. Here's, here are the gladiators at each other's necks. Will that define my life? Will it define my family's life? And interestingly, when we reclaim ourselves, when you reclaim yourself, and enough of us do it, it'll have that ripple effect and grassroots impact. And we'll work its way up, because at the end of the day, they are elected officials. To me, my biggest dream would be if all of us were able to join together with this type of mandate, this should be our mandate. It's not about you, not about the Republicans, not about the Democrats. It's not about Trump or Biden or Harris or Pence or all the others up for election or in general all of Washington. You're here to serve us. We're not here to serve you. And what does us mean? The individual growth, the individual mission each one of us is on. I did find solace in the story of Lev Yitzchak Badichev. It helped me get beyond and not get caught up in the passions of the O.J. Simpson verdict. And I shared it, and I saw that it had a certain fresh, refreshing, fresh air type of approach. And it is the way, if you look through history, the people who really prevailed with their values, with their ideas, were always those that could rise above. Rise above does not mean deny, does not mean escapism. It means not to be defined by the battles on the ground. The wars that have been won in history the ones that should have been fought. I'm not talking about mis misplaced or ill-conceived battles for power or for some distorted ideology. The wars that were fought, if you look, no one, the battlers, the people fighting the war never forgot the truth and that true ideology they were fighting for. Religious freedom. Classic story of Hanukkah. 
the few conquering the many, because they what they fought for my own spiritual freedom. The United States battle, the Revolutionary War. So when you see battles, always look very closely to one thing. What are you fighting for? Just tell me in one sentence, what are you fighting for? Freedom? Describe it. And you'll know immediately whether this is a well-deserved battle. We should all not have to fight battles, but even if one does, it should be for some type of higher vision, something that will last longer than the battle itself. I'm afraid that often today, the battles that we're witnessing, the battle will last longer than the values it represents, if it represents any values for that matter. And I don't mean the battle will continue, I just mean the the carnage, the, the collateral damage, the, the blood that was shed, the pain, the insults. Can people have civil conversation? I have many connections, many people I know. Some people are upset at me. We still talk because I don't believe in not speaking. But they feel that if I don't say something that really is anti-Trump, it means I'm for him. And I don't know how to get beyond that and just have a conversation, but that just demonstrates where people get can caught up, even people you know for a long time. So as we approach the elections, perhaps this is a take you didn't hear. It's not an endorsement. It's not advocating for any party or the other. It's advocating that the one should win is you and I, not about the parties. I know there will be celebrations and there will be mourning Tuesday night or whenever the election results will come in. I'm not going to be one of those that are mourning because I'm not defined by it. And I hope you are neither. Yes, we may have our preferences. We may think what we know what is best for ourselves and for the country. We may be right. We may not be right. Let's all acknowledge that. It would also be a nice gesture. But I know, and I want you to know, that you can win no matter what happens, because it doesn't shape and define who you are. What shapes and defines are the values that you stand for and the values that this country guarantees us. So let us hope, which to me is always the greatest solace of all. I remember giving once a talk after President Trump won the election, and I asked the crowd, it was over 500 people there, said, how many of you are pro-Trump? Half raised their hand. How much you hate Trump? The other half raised. I said, how am I going to get out of here unscathed? Half of you are going to have to. <laughs> and, but I did. Because you know why? My talk was not about Trump. It was about God. God runs the show at the end of the day. If we need a demonstration of that, look at COVID. It says the hearts, the heart, the heart of ministers, and kings is in the hands of God. So yes, this is a free election. You can vote, and the majority will determine. The majority of the electoral college, we should say. But I think behind the scenes, there's an invisible hand. You see it throughout history. And that's where I put my trust in. As a matter of fact, in our currency, U.S. currency, on the money that we carry, the epitome, the symbolism, the, the, the personification of materialism, what does it say? In God we trust. And e pluribus unum. How do you like that? So if you ever need that oasis, that solace to rise above, just take out a penny from your pocket 
or a nickel or a dime or a quarter or a dollar or any or any uh, denomination, and you'll find in God we trust and eat pluribusunim. How do you like that? That there's something greater than all of us, and that from the whole, from the many, we find one the her- harmony within diversity. May we all be blessed. May you be blessed. Your family be blessed. May this country be blessed. May God protect us all and help find the right person for this time and really help us all achieve deeper clarity and insist and demand that of our so-called leaders. It will be good. I'm very optimistic. It's a matter of how we get there and a matter of whether we will be part of the problem or we will be part of the solution. Thank you very much. This is Simon Jacobson for this program and other programs and many programs that we've been creating literally almost 10 a week. Please go to MeaningfulLife.com Why Diversity? Share your thoughts, your feedback, your suggestions, your ideas. I really would love to hear from you. We're in it together. E pluribus unum. We are harmony within diversity. That is our objective. And uh, stay in touch, and I'll see you soon again. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.